Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Muriwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into um, an interesting discussion because it is uh, our first Friday back, which means we get into the hard economics of uh, the week. Uh, but because it is the first one of the year, we have to look at um, where does uh, the South African economy stand um, right now. A bit of a pulse check at the end of last Last year, you remember that, you know, we do those uh, year-end reviews uh, looking back at 2022. But right now, uh, we are now in 2023 and we're now looking ahead to see what the year is going to be looking like and what some of the big issues um, are likely going to be that are going to be affecting the economy. And for today, we are joined uh, by a great panel, um, a team over from Oxford Economics. We are joined by Jacques Nell, who is the head of... Uh, Africa Macro um, over at Oxford Economics Africa and then at the same time we are joined by uh, Lo Nell um, who is a senior political analyst and uh, they're going to be giving us uh, a view of uh, what things are looking like at the moment. Gentlemen, greetings to you today. Greetings. Hello, thank you for having us. Thank you so much for being with us, uh, gentlemen. And, uh, you know, I think we're definitely going to be having a great discussion. Uh, Lo, I think I'm going to start with you on this one, um, the political side of things, because I think, uh, you know, whether people, some people attribute uh, some of the weakness um, in the rand that we've seen over the last couple of months, um, you know, to the uncertainty that was being seen um, around uh, President Sorama Posa and his his position in the party that has since been uh, turned around a little bit. His position is now cemented. He's won the re-election. But at the moment, maybe you could give us a view of um, how things are looking over the festive uh, period, the December period. Yes, people were on holiday, but I know that a lot of people in business were looking at uh, that particular election because it does have so many ramifications. So politically, how are things looking like uh, at the moment from what you can see around the ruling party? So I think that the, the markets, like the rest of us, were of course holding their breath to see how the, the national conference panned out. Um, the expectation was, I think, for most people that, that Ramaphosa would be re-elected. And so when that was confirmed and, and the winning margin of about 570 votes being rather a healthy one, uh, when that was confirmed, there was a, a collective sigh of relief. But that that's just it, really. It's just it's relief rather than than genuine positivity. Um, perhaps because the alternative was something that people were very worried about. Um, the outcome ultimately, like you said, has given President Ramaphosa a fresh mandate. Um, he has a, a top seven now, an expanded top seven that he can largely he can work with. Um, and so, like I said, there was a, a sense of sense of relief, but there there isn't much to to be all that excited about. And I think. The fact that the conference finished in December without them finishing their their resolution part of the conference and then having to restart it again clumsily in a a hybrid format in January to try and wrap that up was an indication of the fact that there wasn't wasn't much from an ideas perspective and certainly not from a solutions perspective coming out of that conference. And so the the post-conference statement by new SG Fagilim Bolula 
um, didn't have much in it. And then the January 8th statement that we saw on Sunday in, in, in itself um, was also really unremarkable and really just felt like a copy and paste, copy and paste job. Um, and there was very little there to be excited about. Uh, perhaps as a, as a follow-up to everything that you've just said, um, Lo, it is an interesting situation that, uh, you know, the party does find themselves in at the moment. And uh, one of the things I was curious to understand is, um, just given the state of where they are, do you still think that uh, the party carries uh, the influence that it has typically carried in years gone past, um, where the ANC was sort of seen um, as a as a thought leader, um, and as well as you know just leading some of the conversations um, and issues, you know, regionally? Do they still you know have that place, or has some of uh, the disruption in the party sort of made them backslide a little bit um, when it comes to that influence? In the region. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, and I think it has probably been a while since anyone has, has really looked to South Africa to take a leadership role on important matters. And it's very difficult for South Africa to, to fulfill that leadership role, considering the chaos at home, considering um, the, the energy crisis, which is not just damaging the economy, but also just damaging the image of the country as um, it, it's an embarrassment, obviously. In terms of our, our regional peers, that relationship between between governments, specifically in like in the SADC region, I might say, um, remains remains a strong one. A bit of a boys' club, of course, but it remains a strong one. But there are probably a lot of countries which are not necessarily looking to South Africa as 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 a partner and as someone to help them boost their economy. There's opportunities in the world right now, um, whether it be from China, whether not it be from Russia, even the United States, who is now trying to shore up its influence in African countries to try and counteract the influence from the Russians and the Chinese. There's plenty of opportunity for countries to, to take advantage of that um, instead of having to, having to turn to South Africa. And so our international relations regime over the last year, policies have been incoherent and, and just illustrated just how far we've fallen um, in terms of international stature. And so, no, I don't, I don't think there are too many countries looking at us for leadership, sadly. Yeah, quite a sad, uh, what you call this uh, assessment and, uh, you know, likely state of affairs, uh, you know, that's being dealt with on that point of view. Uh, Jacques, I want to bring you in at this point, you know, maybe to bring in the more business uh, and economic side of uh, the political discussion. As I said, some had attributed some of the RAND weakness uh, that had been experienced in the last maybe two or so months to some of that uncertainty around uh, what was going on politically in South Africa. In your assessment, you know, is that the truth or was it mainly uh, more the US dollar type of strength? I guess the question I'm asking is how big of a factor has uh, the political situation been um, on sentiment when it comes to, you know, South Africa, the economy and markets? Well, if we look back at uh, more recent major political developments, that was when we saw the biggest spikes in the RAND. So there is clearly, a, a, you know, a reflection in bad news in the RAND, bad news from the political environment. And we clearly do see that in RAND fluctuations. But uh, again, that's, it's mostly drivers behind volatility and spikes. So the economy... It's also not, uh, of course, not a positive story. Uh, the assessment is not less sad than that of the political environment. 
And of course, that's over the over the medium term or on average over the year, that's going to be the main driver behind the RAND. Uh, political developments do, of course, impact fluctuations. And if these political developments do have more permanent or long-term implications, we will see that in the RAND. But I do think, um, you know, you do see political developments reflected in volatility, but not necessarily in uh, the RAND's general trend, uh, which is also not very positive given the economic situation. And when you're looking at that particular situation, what type of things do you think are going to, you know, now that we are where we are now at the start of 2023, going forward for the rest of the year, according to whatever models you're using, what's likely to be impacting uh, the RAND? We are expecting to see the top of the, you know, rate hiking cycle from the Fed, and it's expected that the SOB is going to follow suit um, at some point this year. How do you see some of those things? things, um, some of those things in the wider context playing out? Well, I think it's important to just sort of think what's different this year than last year. So I think enough has been said about load shedding. You know, this year is going to be the worst load shedding we've ever seen. Um, if last year consumer prices rose by an average of around 7%, it's very unlikely that most incomes are adjusted upwards by 7% for this year. Uh, meaning so there's going to be a more pressure on consumers this year. We saw a lot of interest rate hiking last year, and we do expect, similar to that in the US, uh, the hiking cycle to reach an end this year. But that still means that interest rates are a lot higher now than what they were last year. So that's another channel through which consumers will be under pressure. And then just looking at the external environment, we don't expect to see any growth in Europe this year perhaps a shallow recession, although some recent data does suggest that the economy is a bit stronger than expected. But at, I guess at best, we expect a stagnant economy in Europe. And Europe is, of course, a major trading partner for South Africa. So we're not going to have that boost from the external environment that we saw last year when exports uh, surprised to the upside, which had some positive fiscal implications. Uh, you know, that tailwind's not going to be there this year. So, so just looking at this year, more load shedding, uh, less favorable external environment and a lot more pressure on consumers. And those three factors don't really paint a pretty picture for the economy this year. Now, they most certainly don't. And, you know, especially uh, the consumer pressure side of things, because that has had a huge impact on uh, the state of the economy, um, as well as businesses. You know, a lot of businesses, when you look at the results that a lot of companies are bringing out, you see just how much, especially your consumer-facing businesses are being hurt by uh, consumers being a little more tentative with how they spend their money, being a little bit more cautious um, with spending in the market. And then obviously load shedding being the story of our lives. Um, I remember just the other day um, hearing about Astro Foods and how they are thinking around chicken. You know, you you think about these things, you know, about the rand and all of that, but on, an, on a daily basis, someone walking into a KFC and um, you see certain KFCs around the country being closed and it's because chicken supplies are down. Why are chicken supplies down? Because there's a load shedding issue that Astro is facing. So it, it is quite an interesting situation. And on that point, I wanted to maybe get your sense low from the politics side because you, when, when you think about about policymakers at the moment 
they are stuck between a rock and a hard place. They have so many issues that they need to be grappling with um, right now. So I'm just wondering, you know, if if uh, someone is looking at, say, whether it's the ANC or, you know, coalitions around the country, what do you think is going to be driving the agenda, at least from a policy-making point of view? Because all of it is going to have to do um, with fixing the issues that Jacques has just highlighted. Yeah, you're right. And I think the, the reality is that even though this isn't an election year, um, it is very much the start of an election cycle and everything is going to is going to terminate in, in the general elections in 2024. And so whatever decisions are made now, whatever projects are launched now will, will invariably be, be launched through the filter of how does this help the ANC and re-election in 2024 when it's looking so incredibly weak at the moment. I found it interesting, and this is just as an example, in the January 8th statement, um, a section under the economic revival and the social compact section, it, it mentions social support. Um, and therein and, and elsewhere in the ANC documents, it, it says that this party supports the, the extending of the, the, is it the social relief grant, the 350 rand grant, until such time as a, as a permanent replacement is, is sought. And this time last year, we were talking about the basic income grant. And then when the SONA and when budget came along, they made it clear that they were going to kick it over to next year. And here we are now in next year. And the talk is around extending the, the temporary grant with a view of maybe bringing in a permanent basic income grant at a later stage. And yet you, you can't help but think that that has some political thinking behind it it would be a huge boost for the ANC to bring in a basic income grant in an election year. So next year rather than this year. And there are other policies like that that will invariably be, be influenced by their, by their view on, on, on next year. Um, ultimately, you can't go into an election year with load shedding. So there'll be a big f- focus on trying to solve the energy crisis. It's fatal, absolutely fatal going to an election year with stage six load shedding. So a big focus there. For the opposition, um, they find themselves in the same situation as last year in, try- in terms of trying to keep their coalitions going, trying to keep them um, sane and, and functioning. And so a lot of focus will be on Johannesburg specifically, but we're already seeing a bun fight breaking out in Swane over the Auditor General's findings. Um, Ikuruleni will be will be um, volatile again this year, I'm sure, maybe even Nelson Mandela Bay. The opposition, their big goal is to, to showcase how a coalition government works and how it functions and improves people's lives. Um, and the ANC's focus, it's sad to say, will be to show that they don't work. And so here yeah, the EFF becomes the big spoiler. And this year, of course, they celebrate their 10th year. Um, so big celebrations from the EFF all year round, I'm sure. But they'll be the one to watch in terms of seeing how these coalitions work out. And of course, there's also a leadership conference, Congress, for the Democratic Alliance in April. Um, one to keep an eye on. Um, there's no reason to expect John Stianesen won't be re-elected and probably by a huge margin. The big question is rather in terms of who's going to step up to, to challenge him. Someone like Mpoh Palazzi has, has been mooted as a, as a potential challenger. Um, but she doesn't really stand a chance, let's be honest. And then the big question about the chairperson of the federal council, Helen Zler, if she wants to continue and if someone is going to challenge her as well. But we're likely seeing a Stianese and Helen Axis taking the DA into elections next year. And so that, that, that Congress might not be as exciting as the ANC one. Well, it certainly won't be as exciting as the ANC one. 
Yeah, it is going to be quite uh, what you call this. It is going to be quite an interesting um, space to watch over the next year how things do develop politically. And I like the fact that you highlight the fact that though it's not an election year, it is the beginning of an election cycle, which means that some of that thinking um, around elections, you know, both um, on the side of the ruling party and on the opposition side is likely going to be feeding into a lot of the statements and policy decision uh, that will be made and that we're going to be seeing coming out from uh, that point of view. So I think at this point, it's a good time for us to maybe take a step outside of South Africa. I think Jacques had uh, started talking a little bit um, around some expectations for the global economy um, in terms of uh, some of the weakness in Europe as well as what's going on in the United States. And uh, maybe at this point, we can just look at regionally um, on the continent, some of the developments uh, that have been, uh, you know, going on uh, with some of the bigger economies. Uh, what are we seeing particularly around um, the West Africa region with Nigeria, as well as, um, as I think, um, you know, uh, countries like Egypt, um, Jacques? Well, Nigeria is an interesting one because you would think last year with the boom in oil prices that the economy would have boomed, uh, like we saw in Algeria, but uh, that didn't happen. Their oil production dropped. They lost the title of Africa's largest oil producer. I think they dropped to fourth for a while. Um, and that's due to inefficiencies and oil theft. And so, and on the other hand, they kept their fuel subsidies in, in place. So higher oil prices meant they had to pay more for subsidies, while lower oil production meant their they exports didn't benefit from higher oil prices. So the Nigerian economy actually didn't do too good last year. And it's also important to note that this year is the election year in Nigeria. So it's in, it's going to be interesting to see how the you know government tries to you know improve the economy this year, given that oil prices are expected to drop quite significantly. Um, they have made some improvements to their oil production, but it's you know it's too late to sort of take advantage of the uh, the tailwinds we saw last year. Uh, so we do expect a slowdown in the Nigerian economy this year. But it should also be noted that the economy can do really, really badly this year if they don't see a notable pickup in oil production. Uh, the drop in oil production last year was sort of offset by the rise in oil prices. So if the, you know, the, the increase in production in oil this year does not compensate for that drop in oil prices, the economy will be in a really bad position just given how dependent the Nigerian economy still is on well, exports, you know, for the external balances, fiscal balances, and just, you know, the economy in general. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. What Nigeria, it's all about oil still, and we need to see a pickup in oil production there. Uh, in Egypt, there's also some interesting things going on there because uh, it looks like the Egyptian economy is heading towards the balance of payments crisis. Their foreign reserves doesn't look sufficient to pay off uh First of all, pay for imports and all the external debt repayments that are due this year. So they are heavily reliant on uh, the Gulf countries to fund a lot of that uh, external gap. And also they've been engaging with the IMF for some funding there. And the IMF, of course, always comes with some preconditions for their funding. So that government's also sort of struggling with the implementation of these conditions, uh, most notably some conditions surrounding the exchange rate, the Egyptian pound, 
which they uh, they were compelled to let loose, so let it be more uh, free floating compared to the sort of fixed rate that they had, and this has had some quite significant inflationary implications, which you would expect. But the whole idea is that there's some short-term pain and longer or medium-term gain with a more competitive currency, less pressure on your reserves. So that's also interesting to see. It does look like they are securing the funding that they need, but just given the magnitudes involved and the tens of billions of dollars that they're getting from Gulf countries and IMF support and the quite significant policy changes that they are making, it's, you know, it's again going to be an interesting one to see uh, what happens in Egypt this year. Um, one of the things I'm quite curious about, just coming back to what you call this to um, Nigeria and particularly that drop, um, you know, in their place as an oil producer, I'm sure that um, has implications on their foreign currency reserves and the like, because that has tended to be a bit of an issue, um, you know, for that country and, you know, South African countries, not South African countries, rather South African companies uh, that operate in Nigeria. I'm thinking MTN, I'm thinking of uh, MultiChoice and others um, have tended to struggle when it comes to repatriating funds out of uh, you know nigeria do you have any insight into you know has what that situation looks like at all yes nigeria had their own currency uh, or still have their own currency problems last year and the year before that uh their, ex- their official exchange rate and the black market exchange rates which is essentially the exchange rate that the the people on the ground are working with uh, saw significant divergences and that's also similar to Egypt, where the Nigerian government decided to keep their or to manage the float of their uh, of the Naira's exchange rate, which resulted in it becoming uh, significantly overvalued. So, uh, so that resulted in some forex shortages on the ground, and uh, that, of course, then encourages uh, the this divergence in the exchange rates between the official channel and the black market channel. So there were reports in Nigeria, as you say, of uh, difficulties in getting a hands-on Forex. And that's just because, you know, you'll have to find a black market trader to, uh, to get that Forex. Otherwise, it looks like you're going to lose money if you go with the official rates. That being said, this, this drop in oil production sort of, in, sort of forced the government to also loosen its grip on the Naira. So especially more recently, uh, towards the end of last year and this year, we've seen the Naira... Uh, seeing some uncharacteristic weakness. And this is, of course, just a reflection of the changing external balances. And as you say, the external balances last year put pressure on the country's forex reserves. Uh, they're still healthy, still at good levels, but they, they were on an unsustainable trend uh, given external balances and the government's resolve to sort of keep the Naira's value stable. So that has changed now. The government has been forced to change that. So we do see some more Naira weakness now, which again is one of those situations. Uh, this might have some inflationary implications, but it would be easier to get your hands on Forex. And we do expect to see that narrowing in the gap between the official and the black market Naira exchange rates, which is, of course, good for business. And that's how you keep the economy going again. Uh, it will be, you know, quite an interesting one to see um, going forward how things develop. And then also at the same time, um, you know, to see, 
you know, regionally, you know, what some of these issues are going to mean as trading partners, because South Africa does trade with a lot of these uh, countries. You know, the I think we've already given um, the example of uh, Nigeria and some of the SA companies that already have operations in that part of uh, the world. Uh, Vodacom recently took over operations you know, of Vodafone Egypt. So there's a lot going on in the two countries uh, that we're highlighting now. And I think that uh, is a nice place for us uh, to sort of end off right now. And I'm going to give Lo uh, maybe the last word on this conversation because um, when you talk to yeah, the economists, when you talk to the market players, they do say uh, that back in 2022, one of the most unexpected things uh, that people did not even anticipate uh, was how much geopolitics was going to affect the economy. The fact that you had uh, the Russia-Ukraine war that people thought was just going to be maybe a two-week skirmish and yet here we are a year later and it's still um, going on and affecting so many things around the world. So you do hear some people saying, you know, maybe we should be looking more and more at uh, the geopolitical situation. Any thoughts uh, around that, whether we're looking in Asia, whether we continue to look at uh, Russia and, uh, you know, Ukraine, what's going on in the U.S., South America, any hotspots in your view? Um, low that uh, people should be paying attention to because uh, what we can't deny is that the geopolitics has been affecting us quite a bit um, over the last year. Indeed they have. Um, and yeah, you're quite right in the sense that no one anticipated the, the Russia-Ukraine war to have such an enormous global impact, but of course it has. This year, perhaps, I think the, 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 the one that concerns people the most, of course, is the, the situation in China. This um, massive uptick in, in infection rates, COVID infection rates, um, after the government decided to end its um, zero COVID policy um, and its impact on, on the supply chain. It's difficult to get a clear picture of, of what exactly is going on in China right now because of how tightly they control the news. But it's undeniable that, um, that they, they are struggling with, with the pandemic, curiously, in 2023, um, and that it's going to have a knock-on effect. Um, we were wondering out loud yesterday whether or not they were going to reintroduce restrictions ahead of the Chinese New Year's next month. Um, as a way to try and contain the pandemic there. And yeah, I think that's where the main focus will be. For South Africa, these things will invariably impact us as the, the war year, last year impacted us um, severely as well. But in many ways, our problems are, are, are homegrown, they're domestic. And that's where I think most of the focus will be this year. We're all holding our breath to see what um, Cyril Ramaphosa does with his cabinet. That's the next big thing. And then we're all going to listen very attentively during SONA and during the budget speech to for clues as to what they're going to do with ESCOM's debt burden. They've promised us plans for quite some time now. The situation is dire and government needs to tell us what they're going to do to take some of that off their balance sheet. Um, and energy crisis and election, that's what I think is going to be the main, the main issues in South Africa, at least domestically next year. Energy crisis and election. So that's where we end off uh, this uh, great discussion. Uh, we were talking to Lo and Jacques from uh, um, Oxford Economics, just giving us some insight into the state um, of the economy at the moment. Uh, first, looking at uh, the political side of things, because that has really been, you know, a huge um, issue that people have been looking at over the last month because of uh, what's going on with the ruling party 
party making President Suramaposa securing that re-election as uh, the lead um, of the party and uh, you know sort of uh, also then cementing his place for a possible second term um, as uh, president uh, of uh, the republic and then getting into discussions around well, what the agenda from the party is likely to be focused on um, uh, talking about the fact that um, though this is not an election year it is um, the start of an election cycle so that's likely going to be feeding a lot into the thinking and uh, some of the pronouncements we're going to be seeing for the coming year load shedding you know definitely a big issue that's uh, that's likely going to take up a lot of the space when it comes to the agenda and that then feeding into the business case for South Africa as well that's something that uh, Shark uh, mentioned at the beginning to say the fact that um, issues of load shedding you know have been uh, one of the biggest uh, impediences when it comes to business in South Africa but now looking at uh, the wider economy to say what does uh, what do interest rates look like um, in the coming year what does inflation look like in the coming year as we are expecting that interest rate hiking cycles are going to come to um, an end in the year but he's just warning the fact that uh, the South African consumer is likely going to continue to be under pressure despite a little bit of easing you know when it comes to you know some of those factors and then getting into the wider the wider economy especially globally because South Africa is an open economy so looking at what's going on in the US what's going on in Europe and then ending off talking about some of the geopolitical pressures uh, that we're likely going to see and uh, China being identified as one of the big areas uh, that people will be looking at and what that possible impact will be and uh, if any resolution will come when it comes to the Russia-Ukraine crisis. So that's been it. We were talking to Jacques and Lowe from Oxford Economics. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcasts on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudiwa Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.